Thank you, uh, Mr. Machonzi, and good morning to you. Uh, good morning to honorable uh, members. Uh, morning to the legal team of uh, parliament and all those uh, been, that are invited to this uh, meeting. Uh, morning to our uh, also the staff and the media component. Um, today is the second session to receive the comment from the legal service. A parliamentary legal service on the process that uh, we have uh, undertaken as the portfolio committee of, on home affairs. As you know, that we're dealing with the amendment, electoral amendment bill, which we've conducted uh, public hearings, oral uh, submissions, and written submissions. Last week, the Department of Home Affairs reflected and commented on the report that we've consolidated and submitted for their attention. And they did presented their views in terms of the issues that we raised by our community members. You recall, if you had to recap, that on the 10th of January, the executive bill was presented, was tabled in parliament and referred to the Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs to interface or interact on it. We did invite the Home Affairs Department to come and do a presentation on the issues that are emerging from the Electoral Amendment Bill. The committee then resolved to start a process that should involve stakeholders, political parties, community members to interface and make their contributions. We did issue an invitation for written submissions, which were of the communities, stakeholders and political parties that have responded. And as you know, those submissions were closed on the 14th of February. We did also invite those stakeholders or political parties or NGOs that want to make oral submissions, which we conducted on the 2nd and the 3rd of March, 2022. And we can confirm as a committee that we've afforded all stakeholders an opportunity to interact with the committee and the committee to interact with them. And that was sufficiently done and appreciated and their contributions. The committee further consulted the members of the public on what we call the provincial public hearings, which the committee was divided into two, the coastal and inland, which was led by Honorable Pile, and the other group was led by the chairperson, uh, Honorable Chabani. And we can confirm that in that process, members of the community responded, contributed uh, to the views or to the amendment bill, and also must appreciate the process that was taken by the public education unit of parliament to further consolidate and empower our people in line with what the bills entails. The committee will recall that there was a private member's bill that was presented by the veteran reporter. We've interacted with that uh, uh, bill, private member's bill, and also subjected it to the comment of the Minister of Home Affairs. 
and we've interacted with Minister of Home Affairs and made comments. And the committee considered not to proceed with that uh, private member's bill and then focus on the executive bill. And what's appreciated some of the issues that are emerging from a private member's bill are taken into cons consideration in the executive bill that executive amendment bill that the minister has presented. The committee did appreciate the work done by Honorable Veteran Lokota. Our minutes noted the work that has been done and taken forward this amendment bill of the, the executive amendment bill. We are recollecting this, just making a, a record of the process that we have been taken so that when the parliamentary legal service present at least there's an appreciation of the work that has been done by the portfolio committee in terms of the process to this far. We've also taken a decision as the committee considering the constitutional court judgment deadline that because we had to afford to engage in the public hearings, since this amendment bill was tabled on the 10th of January, to afford time to interact with stakeholders, which it took a lot of time, and also to afford this process that we're now engaging after the consolidation of the report, that it will also take another time or period for careful consideration of members of the committee and careful consideration of the Home Affairs, the legal service, and our team that will be presenting the content advisors. And this was in appreciation for us to consider including some of the issues that has contributed for the delays with the legal service has consolidated to put forward to the constitutional court. As you know, that there was a process that the, the, the task team was undertaken by Vali Musa, and he has to interact with his team with other stakeholders. The minister in cabinet has to undertake another process. Among the issues that are entailed on the submission of parliament, we must affirm that the committee has now taken all the processes into consideration in terms of the role of interacting with the public or conducting public participation. Further that the, once we are done with this process, we'll subject this report to parliament. And after that, we'll subject, the process will be referred to the NCOP. And the NCOP has also to consider certain processes that must be taken in order to sufficiently deal with the, this electoral amendment bill. So our extension entails all the process that was to carefully deal with this matter, to satisfy, but also to consider and to, to be within the constitutional framework in terms of processing this bill to parliament. We are aware that this uh, narrative that has been generated to attack the parliament, to attack the portfolio committee, to delegitimize the process that we've been engaged on. And we're aware on that process and observing the interaction that are on the public space. But at this point, the portfolio committee were affirm with the process that we've been engaged and this process that we're engaging on moving forward. 
The second point is that is an interesting point, part, that the IEC has found its foot on this attack. It has been noted by other stakeholders that the IEC is a, I can quote it, corrupt to the core. And because the IEC is one of the institutions like government printing works, that this committee preside or it reports the portfolio committee. And as you know, members and the, yourselves, that when there were allegations that they're surfacing towards or against government printing works executive, this committee considered those allegations and interacted with the executive or conducted an oversight to the institution. And we are aware that any allegation that in the institution this committee preside over, anyone who has an allegation against the IEC in terms of the correct activities, they has to interact with the portfolio committee or subject those allegations to the uh, institutions that deals with such allegations that they are being raised. We are confident as the portfolio committee on the work that the IEC has been doing post-1994, even the weaknesses that are being highlighted by the portfolio committee, which we've noted, and we've came closer to them to interface and work closely with the IEC to improve the work of the IEC. We're confident with the work in the, all the elections that have been con conducted, where there are weaknesses, and I think the IEC come before the portfolio committee and account in the portfolio committee advices in terms of how, with, in line with the legislation, we must conduct the work of the IEC. We're raising this matter because it was raised, this narrative that seemed to delegitimize the work of the portfolio committee around, in particular, of this electoral amendment bill. We have accepted constructive criticism over time on any other matter but we've accounted to the process that the portfolio committee has been taking. We're not going to deal to the extent with the issues that have been raised. And as I've indicated, will allow the parliamentary legal services to interact with the portfolio committee on the issues that they've picked up so that at the time the committee is going to deliberate on the, these issues were informed and also considerate on the issues that the public have raised, the return submission have raised, oral submission that were conducted on the 2nd and the 3rd of March, so that we're able to, to give a appropriate report in line with what the constitutional court judgment has directed parliament to consider. We're also going to receive a brief on the a budget analysis from Mr. Salmon in terms of the program that has been highlighted. Mr. Matunzi, I would like to invite you to render apologies if you have any apology and introduce the team that's going to brief the portfolio committee and also the agenda that we're going to interface with. Mr. Matunzi. Uh, my morning, Chairperson. From the committee side, I have not received any apologies. But uh, from the ministry, the minister and the deputy minister have sent an apology. They won't be able to, to be in the meeting. But there are uh, colleagues from, from the department who are listening to, to
to the, going to be listening to the presentation. Um, Chairperson, as you indicated, we, we are going to have Mr. Sevio Njigela who will be making the presentation on behalf of uh, uh, Parliament Legal Service. Then on the system also we have got uh, Ms. Daksha Hassan, also one of our, our legal uh, uh, service uh, legal uh, service person. Then there's also uh, Ms. Elena uh, Ali, and then she's also uh, one of the legal person from Parliament. Then we also have got uh, uh, Ms. Jacqueline Melo, she's an intern at the legal service. And then uh, we, those that I'm going to mention, they are from the state law advisor. Uh, this is uh, uh, Ms. Sarah Govender, she's here listening to, to the presentation. And then we've got uh, Ms. Soraya Williams as well from the State Law Advisor's Office. That's all, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, and all are welcome and recognized. I must also uh, acknowledge the attendance uh, of uh, the Deputy Commissioner of IEC uh, with uh, her team uh, to come and listen to the issues there to be raising. As you know, that. Uh, will invite the IEC at a particular point to uh, also come and comment on the electoral uh, amendment bill. At this point, I will take this uh, opportunity to invite uh, the parliamentary legal team and they will introduce who's going to run the presentations uh, and members of the portfolio committee will interact with the uh, presentation. Thank you very much. Will be guided by uh, yourself, uh, the team. Uh, good morning, Chairperson. Um, I, I will show my face, Chairperson, just briefly, so that at least you are assured that you're not speaking to a robot. It is indeed us who will be presenting. I will be presenting on behalf of the team, the legal team, and I think Mr. Matonji has already introduced the rest of the team. Uh, Chairperson, with your permission, because I will be running a couple of screens in front of me, if you will allow me to just switch off my camera and speak without the camera on, otherwise it's going to be distracting. And I must say, Chairperson, I'm a bit nervous because I've just received a notice that I may be load shedding by 10. So I'm trying to see if I can be able to deal with this before 10 o'clock. Uh, Chairperson, as you have already captured the background quite nicely, which makes my life a little bit easy. Um, what we propose to do today as the legal, as Parliament's legal services is to deal with the legal or constitutional issues that we have picked up in the submissions that were received by the committee. Uh, we have as part of our, if you could go Eddie, to the introduction, as part of the exercise that we undertook, we considered the amendment bill that is before this committee 
we considered the consolidated public participation report on the electoral amendment. We considered the written submission that the committee had received. We have had the occasion to consider the oral submission presented to the portfolio committee for home affairs on the 1st and 2nd of March. Out of all those submissions, we have tried to distill what we consider to be legal and constitutional issues that the committee may want to consider as it goes into its deliberations. So our presentation today will be limited to that which is legal and constitutional. We will leave the policy issues to the executive to deal with, and I believe that they have already dealt with some of the issues a week ago. Uh, next slide, Eddie. Chair, we begin by just reflecting on what we consider to be the essence of the new nation movement judgment. We are of the view that the, the Constitutional Court came to a conclusion that the freedom of association enshrined in Section 18 does not only include the positive right to associate, but it also includes the negative right not to associate. This was the basis of its decision that the political rights in Section 19, which is the right to stand and to be elected, may therefore be exercised through either a political party or independent candidates for those who choose not to associate. The, the relevance of this chair will become obvious as we go through the presentation. This was fundamentally the case that the applicants made in their court papers and in arguments that they have chosen not to associate in the sense of a political party and that they will prefer to stand as independent candidates. And therefore they may not be compelled by the electoral act to do so. The CC, that is the constitutional court, essentially agreed that the right enshrined in section 193B may not be lawfully proscribed by the electoral act as it vests in every adult citizen. Next slide, Eddie. And of course, Chairperson, this poses some practical difficulties in the sense that it is not always practical to treat the independent candidates in the same way that you can treat a political party in an electoral system. These differences in our assessment seem to be the major points of contention in most of the submissions that we have had a look at. Now, the reality is, in as much as we prefer to confine ourselves to matters of law that arise, it is not always possible to completely separate law from policy, as they sometimes inextricably linked. Consequently, we may have difficulty. Some people may feel that we are speaking to policy rather than law. But of course, we understand the difficulty. 
we have made a conscious decision to limit ourselves. Where we may stray into policy issues, it will be because it is inextricably linked to the legal issues. Next slide, Eddie. Chairperson, the first point or issue that we picked up is the issue of voluntary associations and independent candidates. We propose to deal with these submissions in this manner, Chairperson. We will firstly reflect briefly what the submission was about. And you will see in blue or taquand, as I was told that's the color, we reflect which organization or person made the submission. And then we will frame a legal question that we consider to emanate from that submission. And we will then provide a response on each of the issues that we have identified. So starting with the issue of voluntary associations, the issue that was raised was the, the, the possibility of independent candidates forming voluntary associations in the local government elections through section 15A of the Electoral Commission Act and obtained PR seats. But this is based on what is happening at the local government level. This issue was raised by one SA movement. In this context, then it was said that the bill to the extent that it does not allow independent candidates to form voluntary association, it infringes on the right of independent candidates. The definition of IC should be extended to include movements and organization. That again, those issues were raised by one SA movement, National Elders Council, and the Independent Candidate Association. Out of it, we frame a legal question which we believe the committee should consider and we will we'll express a view in the next slide. Does the bill prevent ICs from forming voluntary association and does this prevention constitute an infringement on ICs section eight constitutional rights to freedom of association? This is where the background chairperson, like I said, the significance of that background about what the case was about becomes relevant. It was about a positive right to associate and the negative right not to associate. And now we find ourselves having to deliberate on whether independent candidates can form voluntary association. That's why I said it will become obvious a little bit later why this is significant in your consideration. Next slide, Eddie. In our consideration of the issues, Chairperson, we, we reflected on Section 15A of the Electoral Commission Act. And our finding was that this particular section has been repealed by the Electoral, uh, Electoral Laws Amendment Act of 2021. Previously, the Electoral Commission Pro Act provided for two different types of registration, which was parties to register provincially and nationally, and parties to register for municipal elections, which is section 15A, which at local government level had been interpreted by civic organization as permitting the registration of voluntary associations. 
there is no provisions within the current reading of the Electoral Commission Act that reflects the provision of the previous Section 15A. Only one form of registration, which is in Section 15, which includes the registration of the parties for the republic, province, or municipality. The definition of a party in the Electoral Commission Act is wide and includes organization or movements of a political nature, which may include voluntary associations. These voluntary associations are not precluded from the requirements imposed on political parties, as Section 15A is now repealed. Regardless of that repeal, Section 18 of the Constitution provides for freedom of association, and the, our Constitution is the supreme law. Therefore, an IC can choose to stand as, a, as an IC or choose to form an association. And even though the bill does not expressly provide for voluntary association, it does not prevent persons who want to form a voluntary association from registering as a party. And we put party in quote in quotations because it is not clear exactly whether if, if you join an association of any sort, whether you call it a party or a voluntary association, that seems to be some form of association. The bill therefore does not, in our view, undermine the, the right to freedom of association in the sense that there is no specific prohibition in the manner that it is crafted now. And of course, Chair, we propose that the Department of Home Affairs to confirm this understanding if they share the view that we are expressing as the holders of the policy. Next slide, Eddie. The next item, Chairperson, we have identified is the issue of extra requirements for independent candidates. The submissions that we have looked at suggest that the bill creates unfair advantages for political parties. Independent candidates require support of a prescribed amount of voters within a region, must not have been part of a party three months prior to elections, and must pay a deposit. Independent candidates, of course, lack the financial and organizational support enjoyed by political parties. These are the issues that relate to qualifications for you to stand for elections. So the concern is that it unjustly, the bill unjustly limits the IC's right to contest elections. ICs can only contest within their region of residence, cannot contest the 200 compensatory seats. Bill reflects that PR is only for political parties. And lastly, the bill reflects that the PR is only for political parties and therefore does not reflect the requirement of general proportionality as ICs do not contest the 200 compensatory seats. The legal question we have framed for your consideration is does the bill create more stringent requirements on ICs and therefore unfairly discriminating against them and infringes upon their section 19 
right to stand for public office. Next slide, Eddie. In our response, Chair, we, we have considered a number of issues. In our view, the bill does not unfairly discriminate ICs. The right to equality is not being infringed as ICs and political parties will always have unequal footing due to the political nature of this institution. This is the practical differences, Chairperson, that we spoke about at the beginning in our background. That in as much as you want to accommodate everybody else, a party by its nature has members who subscribe and they get political funding. And we will speak about that later in the presentation. But an independent candidate is an individual who may not have the financial muscle that a political party has. These are the practical differences that are inherent in the system that we seek to create. And we refer to the case of Huxon versus Lane. Does the provision differentiate between people or categories of people? If so, does the differentiation bear a rational connection to a legitimate government purpose? And I think that is a test as to whether this differentiation is unfair or not. And the test is whether it's linked to a rational connection to a legitimate government purpose. What is the legitimate government purpose for the requirements? Deposit requirement, for instance, if you consider the EFF versus Electoral Commission case, it confirmed the legitimacy of financial deposit as a requirement to participate in elections. And of course, Chairperson, we, we are very conscious of the reality that that judgment was given in the context of political parties. But the principle we want to take out of that case was that it is not unfair. You will remember at the time the EFF was challenging the issue of a deposit for them to stand for elections. The principle we therefore take from the case was that it is not necessarily unfair to have a requirement of a deposit for a person to participate, whether it's a party or an individual. It is not necessarily irrational for the requirement of a deposit. Not to belong to a party for three months prior to, 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 to you standing as an IC, what we call a cooling off period, prevents parties, not only does it, prefer, it protect the, the independent himself, but it may also have the advantage of prevent parties from fielding independent candidates and occupy the space that is specifically designed for independent candidates. So there may be an advantage which may not be immediately visible to persons because political parties have the potential to field independent candidates to occupy the space that we seek to create for, for independent candidates. Prescribed amount of voter supporter requirement. In terms, if you look at the EFF judgment, you will see that the constitutional, the, 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 the court raised the issue of for you to be able to stand, you need to be able to prove that you are seriously contesting elections. There may be an opportunity in this process 
that people who may frivolously stand for elections without any serious intention. So at least you must be able to demonstrate that there are people who are actually supporting your candidacy. So that requirement, again, is not necessarily unfair, depending on the threshold that is being set for you to to demonstrate that there are people who are interested in you standing as a candidate. It is further argued that the bill does not infringe upon the ICE's right to stand to public office. Of course, we accept that the requirements from a practical point of view may discourage ICE's from contesting, but is not an unreasonable limitation given what we have already said. And we have already made the point, Chairperson, that given the, the differences between a party and an individual, it may be felt that the same imposing the same requirement may disadvantage them. So we acknowledge that. But that depends on what is it that is required of them. Can we set a different standard for the IC as compared to what we set, what we, 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 we set for political parties? But the principle does not change. Is it the purpose of the bill to encourage ICs or is the purpose of the bill to create an electoral system that is generally based on proportional representation, which accommodates ICs? The bill does not reflect proportional representation. The constitutional requirement is general proportional representation. Although proportional representation is a requirement, that is not exclusively for political parties. It is practically difficult to provide for proportional representation with independents, as they can only hold one seat, assuming that a person runs as an individual. You can't occupy more than one seat, even though they may receive more votes than a political party. These are these practical differences that we have to grapple with as we consider the issue. If I stand as Njikela, I get votes. If the threshold is 45,000 votes to get a seat and I get 70,000, what happens to the remainder of the seats? Because I can only occupy one seat. And these are the issues that are being raised and these are linked to the various submissions or proposals that are made about mixed member constituency and all of that. However, the requirement of being an ordinary resident in a region or province has been criticized as being unjustified. The Department of Home Affairs needs to respond to this as there seems to be no similar requirement for white councillors in the local government election. This is quite a topical issue if you look at the subject that why are independent candidates at provincial and national level linked to a regional province, while the same principle does not apply to local government. We believe, Chairperson, the, the department is better placed to deal with this if we consider a policy issue. Then we proceed, Chairperson, to, to the Western votes. The submission is that the bill does not fulfill the principles of one person, one vote. 
In this sense, it infringes upon the rights of independent candidates, as the bill allows for surplus vote of independent candidates to be discarded, and therefore not reflecting the true will of the voter. In a way, I've already spoken to this issue in my previous slide. It is the issue of what happens to the additional votes. <clears throat> a concept has been coined that these are wasted votes. Some have referred to them as discarded votes. So it seems like there are already concepts that have created. And these unfortunately frame the discussion in the sense that we, we now have to deal with what is termed wasted vote. But the question is, is it really wasted? Does the bill undermine the equal value of every vote, making votes for independent candidates less equal as they are discarded? That's the question we frame for ourselves for consideration by the committee. An independent candidate may only occupy one seat at a time. Once the minimum number of votes required to secure a seat is determined, all additional votes may not practically be utilized. And I think I've already spoken to, to, to the dilemma that we're facing. On the face of it, it appears to be wasted votes, but in effect, it gives an expression to the will of those voters who voted for the independent candidate. If you had wanted Njigela to be your representative in parliament, and you voted for Njigela and he achieved the minimum threshold for a seat, how does it become a wasted vote? Because you have achieved and expression has been given to the will of the people who voted for that particular candidate. So it's all the issue of terminology and nomenclature that you create to guide this debate. This, in our view, is inherent in the choice that the person has taken to run as an IC, as opposed to a party or association. Again, Chairperson, we refer to the case of August versus Electrocomission, where this, the, the, it was stated, the vote of each and every citizen is a badge of dignity and personhood. Quite literally, it says that everybody counts. And we understand this issue to come from the context of what was said here, that all votes must be treated equally and they must carry the same weight. And like we said, given the practical differences between an independent candidate and a party, there may be practical challenges with that. Unless, of course, the committee considers the issues that are raised by number of of mixed, of mixed member constituents. It is argued that the dignity and personhood of, vote of those voters who vote for the IC are not infringed, as the will of their vote manifests in the occupation of a seat by their chosen IC. Regardless of whether their vote counted towards the, appointed, the appointment of the IC or whether their vote forms part of the access vote, that went towards the appointment of that IC, but were discarded due to the IC gaining a seat. So the purpose for which the votes were meant has been given expression to. Furthermore, in terms of other jurisdictions where the plurality system is used, such as India, UK, and, and Canada, discarded votes, it has become apparent, are inevitable. 
But again, this chairperson straddles policy and law. So we're hoping that the department at some point may expand on it. The next issue, chairperson, is vacancies. The submission is this. Chairperson? Yeah, I think yes, the mic brother. is muted. Yeah, uh, Mr. Matonsi? Yes. Yeah, 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 you're, you're calling my name. Yeah, because I can't hear the viewer anymore. I'm not sure if other people can hear him. No, I can't hear him. I think he's in the on. The viewer, are you here? Uh, let Chairperson, can I quickly call in? Yeah, I just left because of the network. Uh, uh, honorable members and colleagues, let's just, uh, I think he's made his point earlier on that you'll be struggling with network. <clears throat> let's just reconnect him. Uh, apology for a minute. Uh, the the DG, your your former first, uh, Mr. McCord, and your team, you are also uh, uh, recognize your attendance. I think uh, uh, thanks for attending. There are some of the issues, at least you are taking notes. Uh, is he back? Coche? Chairperson? Yes. Yeah, he, he said he's trying to connect, but it's taking long. So I'm I'm with him on the phone now. No problem. We'll just say uh, five minutes. Okay. Yeah. Honorable Lizen? Yes, Jay. Yeah, I'm trying to see if uh, I'm also audible. No, I can hear you clearly. <laughs> Chair? Yes? Uh, I think he did indicate that he was going to be affected by load shedding. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anyone else who may want to proceed because the presentation is there. Yeah, if, but also remember, Honorable Pillai, he said load shedding starts at 10 at his side. It's not 10 yet. Yeah, uh, I think the problem is the, is the network. It's not doesn't have load shedding at the moment. Okay. No, no, no MTN's been a challenge this week. Yeah. Let's not let's not panic. Uh, we'll guide the meeting. Let's not panic, uh, members and colleagues. Chair, um, this is Daksha. I'm happy to take over and try to do justice to the presentation until Mr. Chikela can join. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, that demonstrate collective work. Uh, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks. Uh, you can continue, uh, Miss uh, Daksha, on the. Yeah, um, so I think I think Mr. Chikela left off at the point where uh, we argue that the dignity and personhood of those voters who then vote for an independent candidate 
are not really infringed as they will as the will of their vote does actually manifest in the occupation of a seat by the chosen candidate, regardless of whether that vote counted towards the appointment of the IC or not, um, or whether that vote forms part of the ex excess votes that went towards the appointment of that IC, but were discarded due to the IC actually gaining a seat. And um, a cursory uh, comparative study that our intern did found that in most jurisdictions where a plurality system is used, such as India, UK, Canada, discarded votes or what people have been called wasted votes are actually an occurrence which is inevitable in a situation like this. So if we can move to the next slide, um, Eddie. Hello. Hi, so if you can move to the next slide. I've moved to vacancies. Uh, yes, so with regard to vacancies, um, there have been many calls by organizations saying that when an independent candidate dies or when an independent candidate resigns, those vacancies should be filled by a by-election per region or use the same counting system as one would do in a general election. Um, and that therefore the bill does not conform to the minority option because vacancies can actually be refilled by cal recalculating the result of the, of the election. Um, there were views that said it would be very absurd to keep vacancies of independent uh, candidates open um, and that the same principle of filling those vacancies as is done in the local government election should actually be applied. The, re the question we then considered it, is it reasonable and justifiable to leave an independent candidate's vacant seat open? And um, if you can move to the next slide, Eddie. Our response here is that votes are an expression of the will of the people. When a party candidate resigns or a party candidate dies, parties have the option of filling those vacant seats by moving on to the next candidate on their party list. Now, I know with independent candidates, it may not be practical to do so because an independent candidate stands alone as a candidate. There is no list to move on to the next candidate. And as the, as the department has said uh, last week, that to hold by election to fill the vacancy of an independent candidate uh, per region will, will prove to be very costly. We are of the view that it would then be unjustifiable that a seat must remain vacant for the remaining term uh, because those voters who voted for an independent candidate will no longer have a voice within parliament or they won't have a representative then speaking on their behalf. And so this would then put the voters of the independent candidates at a disadvantage in comparison to the party votes. And therefore it undermines the very purpose of having independent candidates. So we call on, on, on um, some kind of decision to be made for some alternative to be included in the bill to address the vacancy issue. If we can move on then, other issues that came out in this presentation was that const uh, submissions were made that constituencies should have the power to recall their representatives if they're not happy with the commitment shown by the said representative. 
And what we looked at was whether the bill can actually make provision for representatives or members to be recalled. And if you can then move on to the next slide, Eddie. In response to this question, we looked at the sections of the Constitution which specifically set out the circumstances as to when a person would lose membership of either being an NA member or being a member in the provincial uh, legislature. And those next three bullets sets out those circumstances. So a member of the NA or provincial legislature will only lose membership of either of those legislatures if that person ceases to be eligible in terms of those constitutional provisions. And what this means is that those provisions set out the eligibility of any person to be a member. So for example, any, any citizen who's allowed to vote is allowed to be a member of either the NA or the provincial legislature, provided they've not of unsound mind, provided they're not unrehabilitated, un un insolvent candidates, and there's a whole lot of other circumstances. Another circumstance as to when you can lose um, membership in these uh, legislatures is when you are absent from the NA or provincial legislature without permission uh, in the circumstances for which the rules um, of the NA or the provincial legislature prescribe loss of membership. And another instances in which you can lose membership is when you cease to be a member of the party that nominated you as a member of either of those legislatures. Now, these constitutional provisions provide a closed list of circumstances under which a member can lose membership. So in other words, those are the only circumstances under which you can lose membership. These provisions do not also provide that national legislation may provide for other additional circumstances. So we are of the opinion that in order to provide for constituencies to recall its representatives from either the NA or provincial legislatures, it is admitted that a constitutional amendment would be required. The bill in itself cannot provide for such recall. If we can then move on further. There was also a call from um, the Gauteng provincial legislature that Schedule 3 to the Electoral um, Act should be amended to allow for a review of the determination of seats allocated to each provincial legislature. Now, currently, the formula in Schedule 3 is that a seat is awarded, um, one seat is awarded for every 100,000 people. Um, and the Constitution provides that every provincial legislature has a minimum of 30 seats and a maximum of 80 seats. And the submission here was that because there was a cutoff date of 31 March, which was placed in the schedule, Gauteng was stuck with only having 73 seats, despite the fact that since then, the population has grown. Um, the question then we asked ourselves is, should the bill amend Schedule 3 accordingly? Now, at this point, we must also add that Schedule 3 is not part of the bill. It hasn't been amended in the bill. So any amendment of the sort would need to first obtain the permission of the House and then would need to be re-advertised for comment. But nevertheless, um, our response is that we are of the opinion that this particular issue has been addressed by 
Clause 16 of the Electoral uh, Amendment, um, Electoral Laws Amendment Act of 2021, because what this act did, it removed the cutoff date of 31 March. So in other words, you no longer look at the population stats as at 31 March, and it now provides that in determining the seats contemplated in Schedule 3, the Commission must, before every election, determine those seats in terms of the formula. So the cutoff date has been removed and we have the opinion that this particular issue has now been addressed. If we can then move on. Um, there was also the, the contention that the bill should make explicit provision for independent candidates in the NCOP. And we looked at this question, Chair, and we came up with the response that, if we can move to the next slide, Eddie that the constitutional court judgment was limited in, his, in its judgment and it only reflected on allowing independent con, uh, candidates to contest elections for the NA and provincial legislatures. It did not address the issue of representation of ca independent candidates in the in, NCOP. We are of the opinion that the bill cannot make for such provision either if that were a decision taken by the committee and that the constitution itself will need to be amended for the following reasons. That section 60 and 61 deals with how delegates from provincial legislatures are chosen to, be, to, to, to um, then join the NCOP. And these provisions make it clear that NPO seats may only be allocated to parties and not to independent co uh, candidates. And this is because of the language of those provisions, as well as the formula that has been designed in Part B of, of Schedule 3 to the Constitution. So we're saying that if there is a decision to be taken to include independent candidates within the provincial delegations for the NCOP, you would need a constitutional amendment first, and following that, then the Determination of Delegates Act would also then need to be amended. Um, moving on. There were also submissions made that potential candidates for the NA, as well as the provincial legislatures, need to be assessed to determine whether such candidates have a history of sexual offences and convictions so that they are not elected into office. Um, our answer to that of, of whether the bill should actually make provision for such, amend, um, such uh, assessment was, if you can move on, Eddie, was that here again we looked at the provisions of the Constitution um, to see who is eligible to be a member of the provincial legislature as well as the NA. And here again, the eligibility requirements for who qualifies to be a member of either of those uh, legislatures is, is, is grounded in a, in a closed list. And the list of uh, disqualifications also constitutes a closed list. One of the grounds of disqualification is that anyone who has been convicted of an offence and sentenced to more than 12 months of imprisonment without the option of a fine, cannot be a member of the NA or provincial legislature unless five years have elapsed since that sentence was passed. Now, to extend the listed grounds, again, a constitutional amendment would be required. Um, 
Also, while other provisions in the Constitution do allow for national legislation to provide for other eligibility and suitability requirements, for example, Section 193 of the Constitution provides that you can set out other eligibility and requirements for commissioners and so forth. There is no such provision contained in Section 47 and, and, and Section 106 of the Constitution. Therefore, to include any further disqualifications as to who can be a member, a constitutional amendment would need to be required. Also, um, to see if anyone has actually got a history of sexual offences or convictions, one could always also consult the sexual offender register held by the Department of, of Justice. If we can move on. Then in our scrutiny, we also looked at other sections in the Electoral Act, which might require amendments to fully accommodate independent candidates. And these amendments do not feature in the, in the current um, uh, bill. And here, despite what we say, we would seek the department's views on this as to whether consideration was actually given to this. Now, the first issue we want, the first issue we want to, if you can just keep the slide here, Eddie. The first issue we want to talk about is that in the Electoral Act, there's a lot of reference to, to a committee known as a party liaison committee. And what I understand this committee to be, it's a representative of parties that the commission, that the IC commission then consults with on various issues, such as voting districts and so forth. Um, these provisions, however, only seem to apply to parties and no provision has been made for independent candidates to feature therein. The second issue would be relating to party agents. Again, there are sections in the Electoral Act which speaks of registered parties being able to appoint agents to observe proceedings at voting stations or at counting stations. But again, there's no similar provision made for that for independent candidates. Then Section 96.2c of the Electoral Act also needs to be amended to allow the Electoral Court to impose a sanction of forfeiture of a deposit which has been paid by the independent candidate in terms of the new section that's been added into the bill, Section 31b3. And this is also then to align that section to, the, to a section in the bill which has actually been amended to refer to this particular deposit that needs to be um, returned to an independent candidate under certain circumstances. Um, now, should these amendments be considered necessary, Chair, then, then procedural advice would need to be sought on two things. Firstly, whether the House would need to be approached for permission to make these amendments uh, in terms of the current NA rule, um, because these amendments do not at the moment feature in the bill. And if such amendments are necessary, then the need for the advertisement might also become necessary, but we would uh, relay this issue to the uh, committee section for their procedural advice. And like I said before, Chair, we would also like to obtain the department's views on this particular issue um, uh, for whether there was any consideration given to this and if there's any reason why it has been omitted from the bill. And if we can now move on. 
We also took the liberty, Chair, of identifying other pieces of legislation that might require amendments not before the constitutional deadline, but at least before the next elections in order to fully cater for um, independent candidates. The first is the Electoral Commission Act. Um, this act contains many sections providing for certain fa uh, functions which the commission would need to carry out in relation to parties and party candidates, for example, <clears throat> maintaining liaison and cooperation with the parties. Um, this entire act will then need to be scrutinized to see which provisions would need to be made, um, need to be amended to make it applicable to independent candidates. The next act we identified is the Electronic Communications Act. And the reason being is that this act contains many sections uh, dealing with broadcasting services, which party political entities may use, uh, airtime for political advertising. And, um, you know, and if independent candidates are brought into the system, um, the act should then also be considered to be amended to allow for that, so that independent candidates may also be allowed to make such broadcasts. We can continue moving on. Um, I think we would agree that the Political Party Funding Act would also now need to be amended to ensure that funding is available for independent candidates. And then the other act we're looking at is the Financial Management of Parliament and Provincial Legislatures Act, because this act contains many provisions requiring the Speaker to consult with political parties represented in the Assembly, uh, making provision that each party obtains financial and administrative assistance and so forth. And surely then the act should be amended to also allow for that in respect of independent candidates. Um, then moving on. So then, Chair, just as a way forward, we I think Mr. Nichikala would have spoken, uh, done a lot more justice to this particular slide. Um, we just want to say that the Constitution gives the ultimate power to elect, to determine an electoral system to Parliament. It's within Parliament's prerogative to determine what the electoral system should entail. Parliament then also has a constitutional obligation to engage in meaningful public participation. And in this regard, the leading case of Doctors for Life sets minimum standards that must be um, fulfilled in order to achieve meaningful public participation. Therefore, Parliament must demonstrate that it has considered all the submissions in order to justify the choices that it makes and that the choices made are rational. And in light of what we have also said and our response to the submissions, we also still feel that we would need further input from the Department of Home Affairs on the following matters in order to ensure that there's adequate deliberations um, undertaken in the committee on these issues. Firstly, whether the Department of Home Affairs agrees with the, with the issues we raise in respect of voluntary associations and independence also contesting compensatory seats, um, an explanation or a reason as to why there is a residence, uh, residency requirement on an independent candidate that he may only contest a constituency that he or she resides in. Um, what are the solutions or alternatives to addressing the issue of when a vacancy becomes available? And then, um, you know, whether the, the, the department has also considered 
the provisions relating to party liaison committees and agents which were not amended in the bill. Um, I think, Chair, that concludes our, our presentation. And I really do hope my colleague, uh, Mr. C. Uh, Chikela, is back on the platform um, because he was our lead <laughs> presenter and possibly best place to answer a lot of questions. But Ms. Hall and I will definitely endeavor to, to answer them as best we can. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Ms. Daksha. Uh, uh, for collectively presenting the report or comments in response to the public uh, hearings, oral submissions and written submissions that were made before the portfolio committee. Thanks very much. We also uh, recognize the, and welcome the, the Honorable Hendricks to the portfolio committee meeting. We're going to invite the members of the honorable members to comment or raise questions and thereafter will uh, uh, request a comment or responses on the issues that uh, you are raising we are fully now aware that uh, you are directing some of the uh, further responses or a consultation to uh, Department of Home Affairs, and I think the DG and the team are taking notes uh, uh, to that. Uh, uh, I'm going to invite uh, Honorable Lizelle, Honorable uh, Asnaf, Honorable Tito, uh, Honorable Hendricks, Honorable Ross, Honorable Jose, and Honorable Pile. Uh, in that order, Honorable Lizelle. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, and I wish to also thank you <clears throat> for the introductory remarks that you made. Um, I think I want to concur with you that um, the current animosity that we are finding around this, this bill um, is quite unfortunate because I don't think any of us as members of Parliament have embarked on this process um, in order to keep the status quo or to shield our political parties. So I think some of those comments that you made at the outset is welcomed. Um, but I, I do understand that, of course, you know, that there is a, you know, a, a trust deficit between the public and their public representatives. And therefore, this is exactly what we're trying to remedy by allowing independent candidates to contest elections. Um, so thank you very much as well to the legal team for their presentation. I think it's given us a lot of uh, food for thought. Um, in particular, I think the issue um, that was of great concern and, and an issue that we continuously raised was the issue around the so-called wasted votes and how we will deal with it. But I appreciated the legal team's um, input um, that suggested that at the end of the day, it is the will of the people. At, you know, if, if an independent candidate gets more than what they uh, needed to, to secure a seat, it is at the end of the day, it is, it is the will of the people. Um, it is the unintended outcome of, of this process. But Chairperson, I wanted to, to know whether we will ask the DG to respond um, to the issues that the legal team had raised um, around the party liaison committees as well as the party agents. Because, of course, if we go into an election, these party liaison committees are very important bodies. Um, and, of course, you know, it would then mean that we would have to make a provision for, for independent candidates to be represented there as well. 
Um, and the same goes for the party party agents as well. So those questions, I don't know if you're going to allow the department to respond today, because there was also the question around the issue of the independent candidate that must reside in a constituency that they're contesting. And also the issue around airtime for candidates, because we, we didn't consider this as well. And we will have to, um, obviously, it has to be considered, because when we go into an election, political parties are given free airtime. Um, and that will also have to be extended to independent candidates. So those are the issues that we would need clarity on. But I would like to ask on the issue of the vacancies, I think this is going to become quite a complex issue for us um, because the legal team now says it's unjustifiable to keep that vacancy um, as is. So if somebody is elected as an independent candidate, they either resign or they pass on, um, that vacancy will have to be filled. Uh, so... I would like to ask the question to the legal team, what would you suggest as a, as a remedy? Would, would, would have, having by-elections uh, for those candidates maybe once a year, would that be uh, justifiable and reasonable? Um, or would it have to happen, say, for example, if, twice a year? Or what would be the solution that the legal team could suggest in this regard? Thank you so much, Chairperson. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Lizelle, Honorable Asla, Malekwa. Honorable Tito. Uh, I'll come back to them. Honorable Hendricks. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair, and thank you very much for the kind gesture to recognize, uh, recognize me and give me opportunity to say a few words. Um, on the issue of uh, wasted votes, we know that political parties also has wasted votes when they do the rounding off. So I think that levels the playing fields. And uh, uh, so what applies to political parties uh, when some of their votes are not counted, the same thing will apply to uh, independent uh, candidates. The thorny issue, obviously, is if an independent candidate uh, is no longer there, he may have died, uh, you know, or something must have happened. Uh, I was wondering whether I can offer a, uh, a very simple, uh, simplistic uh, solution. We know that in the American elections, the president has a running mate. So if a revision is made uh, for an independent candidate also to have a, a, a running mate, and then one day if he's no longer there, uh, the running mate could then take up the position because... Uh, I would imagine that many voters will take into account who the running mate is. Uh, so um, uh, I suppose we need the wisdom of Solomon to solve this one. And uh, I thought, let me just throw that uh, 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 to the committee. And maybe other, other honorable members have other ideas so that we can get out of this dilemma but thank you very much for the presentation. Uh, it does enable me to go back to my constituency and report back that there has been tremendous progress. Thank you very much. 
thanks very much, uh, Honorable uh, Hendricks, for your uh, contributions. Honorable Tito. Honorable Ross. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and uh, yeah, thank you to, uh, to the presenters uh, for a, a very, a most valuable presentation. Um, Chairperson, I want to start with the, uh, there was a slide on extra requirements for independence. And one of the uh, public inputs was about the question of uh, certain, you know, so, so parties can contest all the seats and independence only 200. Um, and then in the follow-up, you look at three issues, but but you don't look at that that question there. So if we can just get um, clarity on specifically that question, which is why why independence would uh, only contest 200 seats, um, because I think that that is one of the arguments where where those that have said they will take legal action will take it, and I think we need to understand where we stand from a constitutional point of view on that one. Um, and I, you know, I think the issue that stem that comes out of this is the issue that the issue of wasted votes and the issue of, of proportionality are, are not separate issues. They are actually linked uh, because you know when the, the main argument of those that are threatening to take legal action against the committee, if if the bill goes through as it is, um, is the unfair discrimination on the threshold. So the fact that you have a, a system of round one, round two, et cetera, th th there's a different threshold in those different rounds. Um, so, so I think, you know, we, we certainly agree that if you're an independent, you, you, you got one vote and uh, the, the additional votes, uh, then, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be able to pass them on. Persons are voting for you. Um, but at the same time, those surplus votes are not wasted they actually reduce the threshold that is required in the second round. So it's not like they disappear. And th this is going to be, uh, you know, this is the main legal argument that, uh, that those that are stating um, unfairness in proportionality are putting forward. So, so Chairperson, it's, uh, you know, we, we note uh, the, the input about the vacancies and Chairperson, you know, th th this is why in the last meeting I asked why the, the current seat allocation system was not considered here. Um, be because the current vote allocation system in, in the first round, it calculates general proportionality. And it says that based on the, the overall votes and the uh, threshold, this is the number of seats in general that have been uh, allocated proportionally. And then in the second round, you have a, a, a droop quota, which is applied. So for those that didn't get a seat, then the ones that got the most votes would then be allocated their extra seat. So in that way, that, that system ensures general proportionality. Um, but it also helps to solve the problem of the filling of vacancies, because essentially, um, those that don't actually make it on a full seat or on the droop quota um, could theoretically then be on a list as has been suggested. But that list wouldn't necessarily consist only of independent candidates. So you might have a political party that's actually next in line based on the, on the droop quota and how many votes are left. And so you could have a situation where if a, if a, political, party, um, if a political party member vacates a seat, that, that can be filled from their list. Um, but if, a, if an independent 
vacates a seat, that, that, that indeed that recalculation could happen. And either another independent could come in or the political party who had the, the, the highest um, droop remainder uh, could come in. So, uh, so, Chairperson, just to summarize in terms of the questions, I think we just need clarity on that question of the 200 seats. Um, because that's that is certainly an issue that the, where they've said in input this will be challenged in court, um, and then also that issue of uh, the the different thresholds. Um, so where we speak about the fact that there's one vote, one person, extra votes fall away, um, but the main argument of, of those threatening court action is that uh, it's the threshold that creates the unfair uh, discrimination. In that, in round one, where the independents are counted. They have a higher threshold than in round two. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Ross, for your contributions. Honorable Lokwasa. Okay. We've got a notice of some members and colleagues who have difficulties with the network or load shedding has kicked in. Honorable Pile. Uh, good morning, Chair. Thank you very much. Um, and let me also uh, acknowledge and appreciate the um, briefing and presentation we've received this morning. Chair, I actually want to start first with uh, one of the most important points before I look at the different uh, submissions. And that is in regard to the IEC. I think it's important as members of this committee, as members of parliament, to reaffirm the credibility of the IEC in that it is independent. Um, and I've heard this through submissions that were made at some of the, the public hearings um, where there's allegations um, of maladministration, allegations of, uh, of bias or, or um, you know, cohorting with political parties, etc. And Chair, I just want to make this very bold statement that if anyone feels this way, then they would have to follow the due process um, and lodge a complaint with the relevant law enforcement agencies um, and even to bring this matter to, to committee. But to just be making unfounded statements without having to take the relevant steps or action, um, for me, then becomes inadmissible. Chair, I want to, to refer particularly to the issue of the NCOP um, and I just want to get legal to give us to or expand a bit because it's something that I know we've raised. We've even raised it um, uh, during and after hearings where there has been no submission by, by any, um, any of those persons who were, who were championing the cause of independence that spoke to NCOP. In fact, I think at some stage, the question was even asked in the oral submissions um, on the virtual platform. Uh, and the response was that they've not thought about that to cross that bridge yet. So I think it's important. And, and, and just listening from what um, uh, legal has said, uh, perhaps there isn't even a need to venture out into that. And if that's the case, then, you know, obviously so be it. But just to maybe uh, expand. Then, Chair, in regards to the filling of vac vacancies, um, and I just want to see clarity uh, because we all understand that this is quite a huge mountain to climb. Um, 
how would one determine a by-election if we are not contesting through constituency-based, but rather PR system? And I'm asking this clearly because in the event of a vacancy arising, you can't go back and have a constituency election if you're not using a constituency-based system in terms of electing in the first place. So it becomes a challenge. But I do take what was presented to us by legal in respect, and I think also to, to just um, maybe touch on what Honorable Lizal was asking about. There was a, a, a submission about readjusting or recalculating. Um, and if, if, if legal can just uh, unpack that for us, unpack it for us in terms of how will that happen? Because I, I recall making a submission at the last um, a PC about how we can, we can look at that option of, um, of an ex-independent. But again, if an independent did not meet, the, meet a threshold, what then happens? So I think it's important for us to, to just unpack that because perhaps there may be some, some merit in looking at how you readjust. The second one is just to say that um, there is a formula that will be used to calculate allocation of seats. And when you use that formula to do the allocation of seats, everybody gets affected by the so-called, and I'm saying so-called because it's actually not wasted votes um, uh, or discarded votes. It's based on a formula. Even political parties will have a loss of certain number of votes based on the formula. Because if they receive or reach a threshold for X amount of seats, it means that there are surplus votes that doesn't get allocated to a next seat. And it's simply based on a formula. And if that formula is clarified and spelled out and is clear, then it's, it, it, it accommodates for those um, allegations. Of, of wasted um, wasted votes. And then lastly, Chair, um, I just want to, to stress on this point that came out, that whether it's an IC or whether it's a political party, you are contesting the space for a seat. In the case of an IC, it's one seat. In the case of political parties, it may be one seat or more seats. But the reality is that you are still contesting for a seat. And hence, the deposits should be equivalent to that a seat. And I'm just asking for legal to, 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 to give some um, input on that, whether that would be fair, that a deposit is the same based on the fact that you are still contesting a seat. And a simple um, uh, you know, uh, reasoning for that is, if you get one seat as a political party and one seat as an independent, you earn the same and you are, you are getting the same. So then why should a deposit be different? Um, yeah, I, I think I'll stop there. Thank you very much. Eh? Thank you very much, uh, Honorable and Honorable Members for uh, your comments and questions to the Parliamentary Legal Services. You will note that uh, the other questions you are raising that uh, are referred to the Home Affairs and other issues you are raising that uh, may be uh, referred to the IEC. Um, and what we'll do is that we'll not allow at this time the, the DG to comment on the responses. 
we'll give them time um, and we'll invite them to make their responses on the issues that are arising from the from the report. And now the IEC, they are also here, uh, the Deputy Commissioner and all commissioners and the CEO. At the time, they are going to comment on the uh, comment on the public hearings uh, uh, submissions. They will also make impression or will get their attitude uh, on the issues that uh, are being raised by the uh, Parliamentary Legal Service and also the, the report of the minister and his team last week, which was presented here. So I'm trying to make it easier for parliamentary legal services uh, that there were issues that were referred to to them that can be better be articulated uh, by the IEC and the Home Affairs. The legal team, I'm going to invite you to respond and comment on the issues uh, that were raised uh, by the by our honorable members. <clears throat> I'm not sure how we're going to run it now that uh, who's going to start, uh, Daksha and uh, uh, Mr. Sivio, you'll, you'll, you'll assist us. Um, thank you very much, Chairperson. Let, let, let me begin, my colleagues. My colleagues can fill in the gaps. No, thank you. Thank you, you can proceed. Uh, perhaps, Chairperson, I should begin by restating what we stated right at the beginning of our presentation, that what we sought to do and cover in our presentation are those issues that we consider to be constitutional or legal issues. And we diligently try to stay away out of policy issues. And, and my assessment of the questions that have been posed, uh, we are being invited to really comment on policy. Um, but let me make an attempt to just deal with some of the issues that were raised. But it is our view, Chairperson, that the department, as we propose in our way forward, that the department may have to come back and explain some of these issues. Uh, because we, we, we are not capacitated to deal with them as the legal service. There is a question that was asked by Honorable Fandermeville with regard to the alternatives for vacancies. If you look at the submissions, for instance, and I think it links to the question that Honorable Hendricks asked about running mate, if you look at the submissions, um, I may not remember exactly now which organization. I think it may have been a Kasak, Afri Forum, possibly one SA. There are specific proposals that are made in terms of what the committee can consider. One of them is the issue that Honorable Hendricks raised of a possible running mate, so that if the first candidate falls off for whatever reason, the running mate takes over the seat. Their proposal about mixed member constituency, which is very similar to, to running mate. There is a question, there is a proposal about the recalculation of votes. In other words, if the first candidate 
passes away or resign for or whatever reason, the, the seat becomes vacant. All that we do is to recalculate the number of votes and the second highest candidate takes over that seat. These are some of the possible solutions that have been put forward in the public service that the committee may have to consider. But I don't want Chairperson to presume that I am in any way Solomon, as, as Honorable Henry said, I don't have that wisdom. And I'm not an expert on policy, but I'm sure the department can be able to expand on those. But there are a number of suggestions that have been made which may be. Um, I, I think I will say the same, Chairperson, about the question from uh, Honorable Ross about the issue of 200 seats. From what we understand, and which I believe is the reality actually, it's not just our understanding. The question of 200 seats is based on, on the simple reality that NIC can only occupy one seat at any given stage, unless they form some form of voluntary associations as suggested somewhere which then becomes no different to having some form of an association or political party if you want to. So I, I, I really cannot take it further than that, Chairperson. Uh, Honorable Pillay raised various issues. I have already touched on the issue of recalculation. And I think I did my best on how I understand it to, to be working. So I'm not going to go back there. But there's a question about the NCOP. Our starting point was that when, when the matter went to court, it was about the National Assembly and provincial legislatures. The issue of the NCOP was never before the court. But it comes up in the context that NCOP gets delegates from provinces. If you allow, as we are trying to do now, Jefferson, independent candidates to stay in provinces, how do you determine representation in the NCOP? Because my delegates come from provinces. What system could be put in place to accommodate those individuals who may have secured enough votes to be part of provincial legislatures? That's where the debate around proportional representation comes in. But like we said, if that is to be done, there may be various acts, including the constitutions that may have to be changed or amended to accommodate what is being proposed. And I think that is where the difficulty is. Issue of by-elections. Chairperson, uh, for instance, if you look at local government, the requirement is that where there is a vacancy in a ward, a by-election, I think, must be held within a prescribed period. I think it's 30 days or something. If 
the principle of by-elections at national were to be adopted by the committee and parliament. And, and, and Chairperson, maybe I should start the other way. The concern that has been raised about by-election at national level is the logistics. That we may be in a perpetual mode of elections, trying to fill those vacancies. Which is why we suggest in our presentation that consideration must be given to the alternatives that have been put forward of running mates and all, because that will make life easier so that you don't have to be in a perpetual mode of election, because alternatives could be there. Um, on the issue of wasted votes, we agree fully uh, with what uh, Honorable Pillay said. Parties have party lists, but there is a formula that is used to calculate how many seats you get allocated to you based on the number of votes that you have acquired. Anything in excess of that, because you can't have a half a person, anything in excess of those, it, in a way it gets discarded, even for political parties. So there is no differentiation between what the parties are experiencing and what the candidate experiencing. You can only have one seat as a candidate. Whatever is in excess, we can't give you another person because you are an independent candidate. This is a practical issue that we had raised right in our background, that there are practical differences. But in, the, in as far as the issue of wasted votes, it seems to us that there is no difference between a political party. It may just be a question of extent, and the difference being that political parties can get five seats but unfortunately, an independent candidate, even if you get more than a political party, you're still entitled to only one seat because you can't split yourself into five seats. On the issue of deposit chairperson, this is a consideration that we, 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 we were putting forward in our presentation. In as much as there is nothing unconstitutional or unlawful about putting a requirement for deposit. It seems to us that a consideration may have to be given to how do you differentiate between a party and an individual in order for the system to be fair. A political party has a muscle, financial muscle, which an individual may not have. Of course, there may be individuals who are millionaires who want to stand for election. But the consideration that Honorable Pillay was raising that, given the fact that you can only occupy one seat, will it be fair in the circumstances to demand the same amount of deposit for that individual compared to a political party? These are practical considerations that I think the committee must grapple with. And I'm trying not to provide any solution because I don't have but I think like we said somewhere in our presentation that we need to be able as parliament to demonstrate that all the possible avenues were explored and excluded on merit, not ignored. 
Chairperson, I think for now I will stop there. Through you, Chair, maybe invite my colleagues to close the gaps that I may have left in my Thank you, Mr. Angela. Thank you very much for your comments and responses. Uh, Ms. Daksha? Um, or your Chair, Chair, I don't believe um, Mr. Jikela left any gaps for me to fill. Thank you. I'm covered. Any other from the parliamentary legal service team? Um, nothing from my side either, Chair. I think Ms. Jikela covered... Um, all the basis. Um, there was a question on the Drew quota that Honorable Ruiz had raised, and um, our understanding was that, and I think Mr. Njukela had mentioned it, that the independent candidates were considered in round one, although with round two and three, um, because they met the quota and the threshold was met, um, the the um, their votes would not be considered in round two and three. And that takes us back to what do we do with the so-called wasted or discarded votes. Um, and like Mr. Njokela suggested, we, we would like to ask the, the department to please weigh in on this as many of the submissions had um, provided alternatives. Um, I can think of um, the Ind- Independent Candidate Association had suggested even us looking at um, a man by the name of Michael Atkins to consider a different formula when it comes to the Drew quota and the calculations. So um, that's the only solution I could provide is that the, um, the, the executive re-look at the, the various options raised by submitters. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Honorable members, is there any other follow-up? Chairperson, I do have one. Okay, Honorable, let me just take Honorable Ross. Any other follow-up? I don't know okay. further follow-ups, Chair. Nice, fine. Honorable Ross, I think you're the only one who's follow-up. Honorable Ross? Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, I, I think just to clarify, uh, the, the question about the um, uh, the threshold, the, the question uh, about the threshold was about the fact that in, in the current system with the first and the second rounds, that there's a different threshold. And so the, the question was whether there's a, a potential legal uh, challenge that we could face with that. Where in round one, you could have a substantially, so uh, round one where there's independence could require a substantial amount more of votes to get a seat than in round two, where the, where the parties come in. So the fact that there's different thresholds in different rounds that affect uh, different parties, whether that would satisfy the, the measure of general proportionality. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Njikela. Um, Chairperson, um, I, I think my, my, my worst nightmare is materializing. Um, it, it is a very complex question but I will focus on what I consider to be a legal question that Honorable Ross is raising. Um, and I will deal with it in this fashion, that what matters is not so much whether there is differentiation, but whether the differentiation is rational. 
and is intended to achieve a legitimate government purpose. That will be the test. Um, and we, we, we have made this point in our background that there are differences between ICs and political parties. But in our view, the differences themselves are not necessarily unfair or unconstitutional, but are inherent in the nature of the system that you want to create. So I think that is the test, and I can't answer that question specifically in the manner that uh, Honorable Rose is, is raising, but there is a potential for somebody to say there is differentiation, and it may be up to us and the department to justify that differentiation, but it seems that it is unavoidable of ICs and political parties. Uh, I know, Honorable West, this may not be sufficient, but that's the best I can give you at the moment. And I'm sure the department at some point when it comes back, it may give you a more profound explanation for the differentiation. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. I think uh, that is a response from a legal team. <clears throat> I've raised two issues that the department and the IC will uh, uh, come back. Uh, no, the, the Home Affairs will come back and the IC still has to come to make presentation. At this stage, they will may not uh, 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 comment or respond. Um, I just want to test my summary on them, whether it's a, a, a fair uh, uh, a directive that all of us who must take in terms of the process. Uh, can I establish with the, with the DG? Good morning, Chairperson. Good morning, colleagues from the IEC and members of the Portfolio Committee. That's uh, correct. I think we've been listening. We'll definitely revert back. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, can I establish with Deputy Commissioner Love if that is a fair uh, collective directive? Commissioner Mayor. Uh, good morning, Chairperson, and good morning, members. Um, I, I, I share the view. You're correct. Uh, we will come back and we will make um, um, make submissions uh, appropriately. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, um, uh, Commissioners and uh, DG. Uh, Mr. Njikela and your team, thanks very much for uh, the report uh, presentation, uh, which you have taken note of all the uh, submission which were made to the uh, portfolio committee. Uh, will it will give us more thoughts in terms of processing. And this is part of the process uh, to interact with the electoral amendment uh, bill. We are appreciating the, the work that you have, uh, it has gone to in terms of processing these uh, responses and, and uh, referral to uh, Home Affairs and the, and the IEC. We want to take this opportunity as uh, the committee. We'll always also uh, invite you back if there are certain issues that will be arising from the uh, uh, responses that will be getting from the uh, Home Affairs and the uh, portfolio and the IEC. At that time, when we've done with this uh, 
uh, reflections of the stakeholders, uh, uh, including IC and the Home Affairs uh, and yourself, the committee will then able in the position to begin to deliberate on the issues that are before us and take a, a, a decision. And I'm aware that we're careful in terms of entering into the policy position that uh, the committee at the end will be taking. I think you are fairly accurate that uh, your focus was on the um, legal uh, areas in line with the constitution, but also uh, in, refer in reference to what the constitutional court has directed parliament to do. To, to. I want to thank you very much uh, and members and the team. We're going to step off this item and uh, we'll invite uh, Mr. Adams, Mr. Matunzi, uh, can we just, uh, the, the item that is we're going to deal with now? Chairperson, uh, the item that we're dealing with is the presentation of the draft report on the budget by the candidate advisor. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, the candidate advisor will present to the committee uh, if uh, our stakeholders, they want to remain, they can, if they want to um, excuse the meeting, they are also uh, allowed. But uh, uh, Mr. Adams, our content advisor, will present the, the budget to report to the portfolio committee. Mr. Salmon? Thank you, Chairperson. Um, I'll also just uh, briefly put on my my video to assure you that I am, in fact, not a robot, as Mr. Njekela has indicated. Um, but then, just for bandwidth, I'll put the video back off again. Um, I sent the, the draft report to all members uh, via email. Um, and it basically includes all the interactions that we've had with the DHA, uh, IEC, and GBW on their annual performance plans and budgets uh, in the last two weeks. Um, along with the analysis done by the research unit and myself, um, we've then condensed these into a report of about, uh, about 40 pages long. And um, so rather than go through the entire report, um, as we will usually do, we just indicate really that We've got a, a summary or and an analysis of the content of those presentations uh, relating to the annual performance plan um, for this year for all of the entities, uh, as well as their budgets for this year, and as well as a comparative analysis of their performance with previous years. So we go into detail of how they uh, how they um, performing against their previous targets up until the third quarter. Uh, which is the most recent available information that we have uh, um, third quarter of uh, last year. So um, the report is there for consideration. We're just going to go through the draft of it now. Um, and uh, what I propose is that we then just go to the uh, observations or deliberations and uh, recommendations, which are the primary um, consideration in the house um, which kind of extracts the essence of what's happened, uh, what's what's contained in the report, and gives guidance to the the, the department and entities um, as to how they can uh, tweak or uh, improve on their their performance and monitoring. Uh, safe to say that uh, we, prior to us adopting this report, I believe by next week, uh, Friday, 
we will have uh, time for members to input on the document and also uh, we'll ad adapt it according to members' inputs today uh, prior to the, private, the, the final report being uh, debated in, in the House um, later in the month. Um, so what we have here in terms of observations for the Department of Home Affairs was firstly relating to the lack of funding for the, the full implementation of the BMA and uh, the limitations on that, that that poses on the uh, on the employment of the full range of personnel because of uh, cost of employment ceilings. Uh, the department did assure us that the um, that these functions would be transferred from the other related departments, um, which who have to see their functions over to the DHA. But nonetheless, the committee felt that a quarterly update on on the BMA be uh, presented to the committee so that no further delays are experienced in this bill, which was initially tabled in 2016. So it's, it's taken quite some time to get to this process. And so the continued delays are of concern, but also within the context of limited budget, uh, budget uh, restrictions. And uh, secondly, um, the committee noted the delayed implementation of phase one of the automated biometric identification system um, uh, being rolled out at uh, both at borders and in, in inland offices. Um, thirdly, committee noted uh, that the businesses are employing foreign nationals and not always being fined, and that uh, that there needs to be that there wasn't sufficient collaboration between the DHA and the Department of Employment and Labour. Uh, fourth, that uh, the DH was not implementing immigration laws in ways uh, that enhanced social cohesion or prevent, prevented uh, vigilante or mushrooming uh, civil groups taking the law into the, their own hands. Um, and although there are an increase in, in joint operations, the, there was a feeling also, again, that there needed to be better, better collaboration um, between Home Affairs and um, the Department of Employment and Labor. Um, uh, which already exists as a task team, but uh, which uh, members felt is not showing enough uh, impact on the, on the ground. Um, then fifthly, the, the, there was a feeling that the staffing capacity had increased within the DHA, but that had this over the last three or four years, but that this, has, this hasn't translated into uh, increased performance or sufficiently increased performance, um, particularly given that now we are, there's an additional 10,000 um, young people coming to work on the digitization project. Um, the committee wanted some assurance that, that uh, there was uh, efficiency related to increased employment. Um, uh, the DG did, however, indicate that there is a natural uh, attrition or um, a loss of staff due to uh, resignation or, or uh, death. Uh, the committee noted that there was an impasse uh, between uh, the unions and the DHA in terms of opening up on Saturdays um, and that this needed the DHA bill to be passed to make, make uh, home affairs staff uh, essential staff. Um, then the queues is an ongoing issue. Again, continued from our previous reports, always a recommendation that the queues are, are still too long um, and that there's a shortage of staff, that the, the booking system had helped. Uh, and there were also um, 
school visitation projects and mobile trucks being rolled out uh, to address this. Um, and also feeling that the DHA was not present in enough hospitals um, so that birth, birth were registered and uh, also to reduce queues at the normal home affairs offices. Uh, the committee wanted to ascertain if gender-based violence and femicide awareness was conducted with members of the public or internally uh, in the department. Uh, just noted that counter-corruption was working very hard within the department, um, but there was particular note of uh, an incident in Hilba where um, um, department's documents were found on an individual and uh, whether this related to larger operations or syndicates in the country. The concern around the delayed um, new head office for or repairs to the head office of home affairs were also raised. Um, and although there is a public-private partnership that was mentioned, uh, there, there is also a reduction in the budget allocation for accommodation. So uh, there was a concern there. And also lastly there for the DHA that uh, there was, uh, not all offices are modernized and therefore there's not a uniform provision of services. And although the mobile trucks um, are attempting to uh, expand on this, um, there was still a call for the um, uh, expanded modernization of, of um, all home affairs offices. Moving on to the deliberations around the Electoral Commission, um, the committee was concerned that the on, on the turnout of the local government elections uh, in 21, and uh, I see that indicated that it was preparing for the 24, uh, 2024 elections um, and had conducted a review with the National Political Liaison Committees and had uh, expanded its embrace of the social media in addition to traditional media uh, to uh, address this. However, there was some concern about misinformation. Uh, secondly, for the IEC, the target uh, on the number of registered voters was reduced in the current year uh, by about 400,000. And the, there was observation that, that perhaps the IEC and political parties had not put in enough effort into budget registration. Um, but the IEC in turn responded that part of the reduction had to do with uh, the rate of mortality, um, but that this would be re-looked at for the 2024 elections. Uh, the committee noted the IEC was also involved in civic education at WITS, but inquired about further education and initiatives. Um, and then for the government printing works, the committee was concerned about the relationship between GPW and management and the labor unions at GPW. Uh, it was reported that uh, the PSA um, had there been some progress in this and that the, that the management had taken a, a firm stance on ill discipline, um, that, the, that this issue had gone to court and um, had actually been found in favor of the, the GPW in terms of a legal strike that was conducted. Um, there was an indication that there was no breakdown of the budgets of the GPW in terms of its program or branches given either in its budget or in its uh, presentation or APP. Um, uh, they indicated that this could be provided, but there was an indication that uh, this should be standard um, so as to allow for comparative analysis by, by parliament or external stakeholders um, of the performance of the GPW. Uh, the committee continued to continue 
the continued number of uh, vacancies uh, needed to be filled in the new organizational structure. Uh, the committee was concerned by the DPW um, delays around the, the master plan and um, and then lastly, the committee noted an unclear challenge in a change in the outcome uh, under the office of the CEO relating to internal audit, uh, which now included reference to consultants. Um, but the GP, the CEO of the GPW did not uh, only responded that internal audit was not consultants, but not as to why consultancy was included as part of this outcome at all. Um, these deliberations then um, are transformed or kind of uh, uh, distilled into a series of recommendations um, for each of the entities. Um, the first of which for DHA, the portfolio committee recommends that the DHA should uh, one, engage with the Minister of Finance to ensure that they're being made adequately funded. The Minister of Home Affairs should further engage with ministers whose departments are operational at the border environment to ensure that they are familiar with the reg regulations of the BMA Act. And the DHA must brief the committee quarterly on the BMA project implementation plan, including how slow or non-compliant partner departments um, account, uh, are held accountable at cabinet level. And the rollout of the biometric movement control system to 34 ports and also uh, how the revised downward target of expansion of the BMA to various ports um, is being implemented. So there was a, a reduction in the, uh, in the targets, uh, which wasn't, uh, which need, needs to be explained in that quarterly report. Uh, secondly, uh, DHA should clarify the reasons for the 137 million rand budget reduction on office accommodation and how it was planning to procure its head office in this regard. Um, that they should ensure long queues at home affairs offices, especially in cities, are resolved providing an appointment system as well as an intensified rollout of the bank projects or branches while ensuring that mobile offices are fully operational and mobilized. Four, work with other departments on gender-based violence awareness to improve implementation despite budget cuts. And uh, next, to connect more hospitals to ensure that births were registered at the hospitals and this could assist with cutting long queues. Uh, that modernizing all home affairs offices to ensure that the offices provide the same services all over the country, um, that they should brief the committee on the progress made in the implementation of phase one of the automated uh, biometrics identification system, uh, that there should be a fine, that they should, that, that they should find businesses that are found to have employed undocumented uh, foreign nationals and work more closely with the Department of Employment and Labor. And they should address the impasse in opening uh, offices on Saturdays by expediting the tabling of the DHA bill uh, to uh, make DHA staff essential workers. The Electoral Commission, uh, the Portfolio Committee recommends that the Commission should expand civic education, uh, admits to other tertiary institutions and voter education should form part of the school curriculum and they should participate in the DHA mobile unit school visitation program. Um, secondly, incorporate addressing misinformation as part of its social media framework. And third, work more closely with political parties to improve voter registration numbers and voter turnout. Uh, for the government printing works, the recommendation is that 
they create relationships with all African countries to access new markets and build uh, and build their output. Um, ensure that the reasons for repeated non-adherence to annual report deadlines are addressed. The committee should be updated regularly on the coordination and implementation of governance activities, including compliance and risk, management of previous audit findings, and implementation of recommendations by internal audit, which they have been doing. Uh, present to present to the committee a report on the investigations into lost audit data and security breaches, that uh, investigation is still outstanding, and provide the committee with a three-year plan to fill vacancies of their new organizational structure. So. This is what we have uh, for now, Chairperson. Um, I give over to you to lead the discussion, sir. Thanks, uh, Mr. Salmo, for uh, the presentation. This is a draft uh, uh, budget presentation of all the entities, Government Printing Works, IEC, uh, Home Affairs. Um, I've gone through the report uh, and uh, some of the issues which we need to uh, uh, elevate. Um, uh, what I will propose is that we may need to get members to, as always, um, make more uh, submission uh, to our attention. Um, uh, as a draft, you know that IEC has also elevated the issue of the budget cuts. Um, uh, we may need to look on how we are, um, given that we now, are now in the discussion of the electoral amendment bill, what uh, will be the implications once parliament has considered uh, um, uh, uh, policy options or uh, what will be the financial, uh, given what they've expressed in their um, uh, APP and the shortcomings that contribute to uh, certain issues that uh, will, be, will, will, will be raised. And I'm sure that when we, they're going to present the, their local government election report, there will be more issues that will be arising. So this draft report gives us an opportunity to further elevate some of the issues that will be presented uh, by the IEC next week. Um, and on the issue of the government printing works, there's a report that is also uh, be, will be presented um, and that also link up to its gov the status of the governance in government printing works, which we ought to um, elevate in the process and what will be coming out of that report uh, the the footprint of government printing works on SADC region, I mean in the SADC, um, is one area also we need to uh, to 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 elevate. <clears throat> the border management authority is an area uh, where it's now on the foot. We need to talk more about it. The new commissioners. There are also financial challenges in the report that have been presented. Uh, we need to prioritize on that. Um, I think members will comment, but uh, uh, and give a process on this report how we must finalize. This is a draft. We're not going to adopt it today. So just uh, comment. I'll invite uh, Honorable uh, uh, Lizelle 
um, Honorable Rose, Honorable Malekwa, um, and Honorable uh, uh, Pile. Yeah, Honorable Pile on the members who are, are not cut off by the network. Uh, Honorable uh, Lizette. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that um, we've included this issue of the rolling out um, DHA services to banks because I don't know why they've, the department's gone quiet on this issue. And I remember um, when we engaged them, I did ask them about this and they didn't answer. And I think, you know, if we want to alleviate the pressure on our offices, um, this service with banks is a valuable tool that they can use to actually offer services. So really, it's something that I'm glad we've included here. But secondly, um, one will recall when the minister answered at the end, he did mention that the current interventions that they as a department have got in terms of trying to deal with our immigration crisis is only a band-aid approach. And then he mentioned that um, they will be looking at an all-encompassing plan to fix the immigration crisis or immigration system. So I would suggest that we add as a recommendation that he should table to the committee the national plan um, of action in order to address the immigration crisis. Um, I also think that in terms of the issue of the inspections, I'm very weary about these inspections because recently I saw that many of these inspections that result in arrests, um, people actually find themselves um, out on the streets again. So it's either they get arrested um, and then they are released or they just go back to the illegal activities. So I think in terms of the 240 um, inspections, they must come and present to the committee the outcomes, keep us updated regularly on the outcomes of these inspections. I don't think it's any good for them to list those inspections if you do not know if they are resulting in any um, improvements in terms of enforcing or in, uh, complying with the Immigration Act. So I think they need to present to the committee um, regular reports on the outcomes of these inspections. Um, so that will be my one other suggestion. On GPW, did we include um, a oh, did we include a suggestion there that they must regularly report on the filling of vacancies? Because I think that's also something important. And then I was thinking about this issue of SADAC, but we didn't ask them, so I don't think it can be included as a suggestion. But I was thinking we, we're hopping on the issue of SADAC, which is important for them to expand their footprint. But I remember in one meeting, they actually mentioned to us that they don't work with all government departments. And that was something that we previously suggested, that they must ensure that they work with all government departments, which they are not currently doing. Um, and I think, you know, as much as we want to expand to SADC, we must also be able to ensure that we print for all government departments. Thank you, Chair. But I will think about more suggestions and then email it to the team. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Fanner Merve. Honorable Ross. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, so, uh, Chairperson, I, do, I note this report, and uh, as you'd mentioned, Chair, I will uh, we will submit uh, written inputs into the report. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honourable Ross. Honourable Malekwa. Honourable Pile. Honorable Pile. 
Mr. Matonzi? Are you chairperson? Oh, I thought it's, it's on my side. Uh, Honorable Pile, Honorable Molekwa? Unmute. Okay. I think what we'll do, uh, uh, Mr. Adams, uh, comment so that we close on the item. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Now I've taken note of the members' contributions and included uh, reference to them in the recommendations already. And then I'll await the written submissions as, as indicated. Okay. Thanks, uh, members. We'll, uh, we'll note the draft report and the issues that have to find um, expression on the report, as the Honorable uh, Lizelle has commented, uh, and also Honorable Ross, that uh, and all other members who will be uh, uh, further in putting uh, to strengthen the uh, the report. Uh, and uh, when we adopt it, I think we should have included all the issues that uh, were uh, interacted with the Home Affairs, uh, the IEC, uh, and government uh, uh, printing works. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Mr. Salmon, for your uh, uh, work. Any other matter, uh, Mr. Matunse? Chairperson, uh, there's no other matter except that I was uh, I was looking at the agenda item for next week, Chairperson. Uh, you will recall that no, we agreed that no, the department should come back uh, to respond to the legal service presentation of today, and then um, because we, I'm just moving down there. On on Tuesday May we're supposed to 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 consider the public participation report uh, and adopt it. But now I'm thinking if we still have got the IEC and the department still coming to to the committee, is it necessary to adopt the report, or maybe we can get the content advisor to go through the report and then uh, and uh, and not and note it and then wait for the presentation by the department and uh, and the IEC and uh, also we're going to be considering the motion of desirability because we're going to start with the committee deliberations so if we're still waiting for 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 the department and the IEC the the the, the next two agenda items that is the MOD and the committee deliberation might have to follow otherwise so I'll need your advice on this because uh, I don't think we can consider the MOD and start with the deliberation while we're still waiting for the IEC and, and the department to come back. Yeah, I think you're correct. Uh, that's what I wanted to uh, uh, suggest to the committee. Um, the department and the IEC are ready, they are ready uh, in terms of uh, responding to make comments what you will do you will shift the items uh, so that we allow the the department to respond first and then uh, we'll then schedule the uh, the IEC uh, to come and uh, present with I think that let's take that's the principal decision we'll take and then the menco will just uh, um, uh, reconvene and finalize the um, at this point, uh, so that members may not be shocked on how uh, or surprised 
when the program is being when we relook on the on the on the program on the issues that are arising uh, from the parliamentary uh, legal services uh, presentation so that's a principal decision will will take uh, and will immediately have menko uh, uh, quickly today uh, to finalize the, the 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 program any any suggestion is that uh, our approach honorable uh, rizel honorable ross honorable moleko and honorable pile we are happy with your proposal, Chairperson. Supported. Honourable Ross. Uh, supported from our side, Chair. Honourable Malikwa. Honourable Pile. Okay. Thanks very much. That I think will be our push to that, uh, Mr. Matunsi will alert us. Uh, how we're going to uh, when uh, can we meet can you can i get your opinion before i close uh yeah chairperson no it's fine uh i'll, I'll suggest if we can meet at two o'clock the menko can you say can you agree that we'll meet today okay yeah, yeah. but okay uh, i was suggesting uh, 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 Alternatively, Chairperson, if I make make a proposal, Adam here. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, Mr. Salmon, you must mm-hmm. have the tech consultation process. Yes. When a member is on the platform, you allow him or her to finish, and you then raise the point. I think is the established standard on how we interact on the matters of the committee. Can you finish your point, Mr. Martins? No, I, I was saying, Chairperson, I was suggesting two o'clock, if we can come up with a specific time for the mango today, so that no, I would be in a position to issue out a notice of the meeting today. Okay, noted. Uh, Mr. Salma? Um, alternative uh, suggestion to that, sir, is that if, you, uh, if you're not too busy, we can just meet for 10, 15 minutes now, allow everybody to leave, and we can just stay and quickly sort this one out. It won't take us long, it'll take us 10 minutes. Okay. All right. Now let's uh, 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 let's consider this point that the Adams, has, uh, Mr. Salmon, has raised, and and uh, allow members. To, let's end the meeting. Members, uh, IEC, uh, DG, and your team, and uh, honourable members, and all the colleagues, parliamentary services. Uh, thanks very much for your presentation and thanks very much for the item that was presented by Mr. Salmon. Um, our meeting is then the agent. Then we'll uh, uh, wait for 10 to 30 minutes to reflect on the position. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Bye-bye. Thank you. Chairperson, can I just confirm that you can see the, the, the draft program on your screen? Draft um, program on the screen, yeah. Okay. Mr. Matonsi? Yes, Chairperson. Uh, 
I'm saying sorry, Mr. Salma. Yes, sir. Um, I can proceed. Um, I just, um, yeah, I suppose whoever, it doesn't really matter if anybody else stays behind in the meeting. Uh, it's, it's just a practical I'm issue. Yes, I'm, t I'm, I'm trying to establish, Mr. Matunsi, that the main call is fine. Yes, yeah, we, we can continue with the main call. Okay, thank you. Um, I mean, I, I just an indication, I see that uh, PMG is still in the meeting. Just to say, this is no longer a formal committee meeting. We're going into a management committee, management meeting, just to sort out some logistics for the committee. Uh, so this won't, won't form part of the formal record of the meeting. Let me make it easier for Mr. Machonsi and Mr. Adams. Let, let's uh, reconnect at two o'clock for thirty minutes. As you wish, sir. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Chairperson. All right. Thank you very much, uh, members and colleagues.